0: You're listening to audio from Gospel Collective Church. If you'd like to check out additional resources or learn more about us, please visit gcclex.com. Good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is Eric Colser, in case I haven't met yet. I serve as one of the pastors here at Gospel Collective Church. Uh, so glad that you are joining us for our Resurrection Sunday service. Uh, again, whether this is your first time here or a regular member or attender, this is always a special service, as Pastor Joey had mentioned, where churches all across the world are meeting to be able to glorify God and what He has not only accomplished, but given us in the resurrection. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Uh, Next week we're going to start a new series on the book of Hebrews, really excited about that, the connection from Old Testament to New Testament, the themes that are in that book. However, today we're going to talk about the living hope and the resurrection of Jesus. Last week, we, for Palm Sunday, uh, studied Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the start of the Passion Week or the Holy Week. If you were with us for our Good Friday service, you heard specifically what he did on the cross, and we partook in the Lord's Supper in remembrance of that. then of course today, three days later, we're going to read Mark's account of the living hope and the resurrection of Jesus and connect it to 1 Peter chapter 1. And so I'm going to read this all together, verses 1 through 8, Um, then I'm going to break it down uh, verse by verse, and it's going to lead us into some of the Apostle Peter's thoughts on the living hope of the resurrection of what we read of the gospel account here. So if you don't mind, read with me. The scriptures also to the left and right in the screens, as you see here, verses 1 through 8 of Mark chapter 16. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, again, let's discuss this a bit, um, go verse by verse on this account leading into who they were told to tell the disciples, but specifically Peter and what he says about the power Of the resurrection. First, we see verses one through two. Remember, this is after Jesus has been painfully uh, tortured, uh, crucified, and now in the tomb. And so these three women, it says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Siloam bought spices. See, after the Sabbath was over, sundown, on Saturday evening, people, in this case, Mary Magdalene, Jesus' mother, and as a new Christian, when I first wrote, or first wrote, did not read it, I mean, uh, did not write it, uh, read this, I would always read, for whatever reason, this lady's name as, not Salome, but Salami, uh, because it says spices, and I'm like, spicy Salami here, no, all right, Salome bought spices, and so they may go and annoy him. What they are doing here. It's a bit of a delay, but they're buying oils for a bit of a delayed embalming of the corpse. And again, ancient tradition at this time, after sunrise on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, uh, this would usually occur on the third day. And so they're going to honor Jesus and his life and his death and do what they know they should do. And so they're walking out there to do this. Verse 3, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You see, in their grief, they're just doing what they know, what they need to do next, but not exactly thinking through how they're going to do it. We know we must embalm the corpse. We know we must honor Jesus in doing this for everything he has done for us. But like his death, his burial wasn't exactly normal. You see, at that time, most crucified victims in ancient Rome were left on the cross even after they were dead. It was left for the elements and the animals to take care of the body, the mess that was left behind, because they're only criminals. Who cares? Sometimes they would instantly give the body to family or friends for them to take the proper steps to honor them, and do something with the body. But in this occasion, remember, the Roman authorities took extra measures by sealing Jesus' tomb with a large wax stone and even putting a guard outside of it to prevent anyone from stealing his body, being paranoid of whether somebody's going to do that to spur the rumors that there's going to be a resurrection or an actual resurrection may happen and what that would mean for them. And so they seal the tomb, they put a guard outside, and these women... Jesus' own mother is walking to the tomb in grief, saying, oh, how are we even going to get to the body? There's a large stone waxed to seal it. There's a guard outside. Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They said, how do we even get to him? And it says in verse 4, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Verse 5, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Uh, This is what I envision a picture, what they saw uh, in the tomb right there, okay? And uh, as you can see, you would be alarmed too seeing that, all right? Um, Fair warning, if you're searching for that picture, as soon as you type in Jeff Goldblum, Jurassic Park, it's going to instantly start saying bare-chested, okay? And that's going to be in your Google search history, okay? So fair warning, do not search for that pic. And it's even worse when you didn't notice, but you did that on your middle school daughter's account as well, okay? And so to, I don't know which one's worse or more awkward, like talking to your wife, like saying, I, I, this is I, I, why I searched this and everything, or blaming it on your middle school daughter, and she's wondering, why did you search Jeff Goldblum? Anyways, um, and so they have this angel, sitting to the right side, dressed in the white robe, and they are alarmed by this. Now listen, these next three verses, they are very, very important. They set up the rest of this sermon and service. I mean, many of you made the extra efforts to be here, to look nice, which you guys all look very great right now, uh, some of you. Uh, Put a little extra effort maybe in in your kids for that picture and everything else, all right? You had to deal with our horrible parking. I'm sorry. But you put some effort to be here, you might as well get something out of it, all right? So, no, these next three verses are very, very important. More than that, there's a much greater reason and purpose that you are here beyond the potential cultural habitual reasons. So, get this, verse 6. The angel, dressed in white, says to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. I mean, they were there, present, see, saw his death, his excruciating pain. But he has risen. That's what the angel says. He was crucified, who you sought. But he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Here, the angel shares the truth of what we come together this morning. What we believe and should affect our lives every day is professing believers the truth of the resurrection. The line from the Nicene Creed, on the third day he rose again, which is a foundational statement of Christian belief. A declaration that three days after Jesus died on the cross, he was resurrected. A glimmer of the eternal life that is promised To believers, the heart of the Easter story in seven little words. He has risen. He is not here. And when you hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I ask, what do you think about it? Because it is the crux of Christianity. No Resurrection, no Christianity. Christian author and theologian N.T. Wright said it best. You take away the resurrection and Easter. And Karl Marx was probably right to accuse Christianity of ignoring problems of the material world. You take it away and Freud was probably right in say, in, to say that, that Christianity is just wish fulfillment. You take it away And Nietzsche probably was right to say that it is only for wimps. But if it is true, church, if it is true for those who may be visiting or just kind of seeking right now, for it to be true, like this angel says that he has risen, he is not here. Look at the place that they laid him. Well, it does change everything. We absolutely must take everything else that Jesus said, that Jesus did leading up to this into consideration for our lives and for the world. We must take everything that has changed because of others who believe this to heart. And if true, we must also do what the angel told these three women to do and tell others of this truth and the hope that we receive from it. Listen to what he says after he is risen, he is not here. Look at the place where they laid him. The angel tells them, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter, I love that she mentions Peter, we'll get to that, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. Not only is he not here. I mean you know he was dead. I mean they, they, they stabbed him with the spear To make sure to confirm this. It's been three days. But you're going to see him. Just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb. But look what happened. Look at their initial reaction. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For... They were afraid. I think it's interesting as it kind of ends here at this account. Of course, we have what happens later. But when you just read these last couple verses right here, as wonderful as this truth would seem for them, even for us, they were still afraid. Like many of us in here. As much as I want to believe this. I mean, that's the ultimate. I mean, hope. He, he's not there. What he said is true. But they were afraid. It says trembling and astonishment seized them and that fear froze them as we see from the very end of verse 8 where they needed they will find it but they needed hope just like many of us need hope whether you've grown up in church and have heard this story for a while now or this is all very new to you many of us need that hope I know fear often holds us back whether it be in trust and faith for some of you a fear that froze you and caused you to not move or do what you were supposed to do as described in the scriptures here you feel seized by it for some of you it's tough for you to trust in anything from systems to people to God Himself. I mean, we all go through that, even professing believers in here. I went through that with something just as minuscule and as stupid as you would seem um, over a month ago. You guys many you guys remember the power outage, and I'd be checking my phone often, like, when is my power going to come back? When is the church power coming back? And this is like one example. This date moved like three or four times, all right? I told Jess, I told people at the church, I have no hope, no trust at all whatsoever with LG&E right now, okay? Like, I know there's people working hard right now. I appreciate what they're trying to do, but I have no trust at all whatsoever because this date and thing keeps on moving. How many of you guys have felt like that with the most important of things in your life, with God himself? How many of you have gone through a hard time or have felt so bad or guilty about something, you seem stuck and Hopeless. It's one of the things in council I've often heard communicated with people who have both grown up in church and people who have been antagonistic toward God and religion. I feel stuck. I feel hopeless. What these ladies needed, what we need ourselves when we're stuck In similar seasons, for some, you may feel like it's not a season. It seems to be life. We need hope, true hope. Not hope that even seems to die. And it is hard to find in this world today. You know, a a cultural example, uh, one of the most popular TV shows of this year is a show that was on HBO that was adapted from a best-selling video game called The Last of Us. And in this, there is a character that was supposed to portray or up to that point portrayed hope. In a very dark, dismal world and kind of post-apocalypse situation, there was one character that was the one that seemed to show the most hope. And even by the end of that last episode, hope seemed to die with the one person that all these millions of people are watching, saying, no, not her too. Why does it seem like in the world, in the culture, in our lives, we cannot find hope? It's no wonder that the most famous part of one of the most famous books, Dante's Divine Comedy, displays this. Before Dante and the poet Virgil enter into the gates of hell, They read a sign describing what they are about to enter in. The experience, the place that was created in consequence of sin and separation from God. And what was communicated on that sign, again, the most famous phrase from one of the most famous pieces of literature, was abandon all hope, ye who enter here. I mean, outside of Scripture itself, what people probably know of or think of concerning hell, the most memorable and agreed upon description of it, is a loss of all hope. And that's not just true of a rural eternal hell, but of our lives on this earth when we are stuck and enslaved to our sin. In fact, mid-1900s, author and poet Dorothy Sayers once said this. In the world, it's called tolerance, but in hell, it's called despair. The sin that believes in nothing, cares for nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there is nothing for which it will die. You see that? Despair that is found in hopelessness. And more than ever, we should realize that we need hope to be alive. But listen, church, not just any hope and not just a hope in anything. A biblical hope that not only desires something good for the future, but it fully expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it is fully assured and confident it will happen. And listen, why we gather here this morning, the good news of the gospel that Jesus gives, part of it is that resurrection that he gives. And believe me, not me, but because of what is communicated in here, it gives true living hope. What those women who the angel later says, Jesus will appear and come. Everything you hope for will be assured as he will appear to you. And listen, they did eventually go and tell others about it. It was assured we believe this changes us and we have to tell the world. That's including what he had said, the disciples, but also the apostle Peter who he specifically mentioned who wrote this about the living hope that we need and receive in the resurrection who they said, go and tell. Listen to what the apostle Peter says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his letter to the churches and what God has saved for us and speaks through. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, on the screens to the left and right of me as well. Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who? They were sent out to share. One specific person, Peter, who writes this, Who writes in verse 3, there is great mercy that a God gives through Jesus. Mercy and salvation is God's compassion and care for those who were dead in their sins. Because of our sin, we are lost and can't but help to choose wrong over right. But God grieved over our desperate condition, which is his great mercy. And he initiates what he does and offers in the gospel of Jesus, sending his perfect son to pay the price of our sin, our sin on the cross rising from the grave and graciously offering new life and that living hope if we repent of our sin and have saving faith in Jesus Christ. There is a living hope specifically through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's what he says at the end of verse three. For he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, through the truth and the beauty of, of the resurrection that today is all about. Truth as described with the angel pointing out the facts that a body is gone only to reappear in a glorious state, not just to the disciples, but listen, over 500 more people who will later be the beginning church that will change the world as we know it. But not only the truth of the resurrection, but listen, church, The beauty that is described in it. Read with me again verses 4 and 5. We have, because of the resurrection, the living hope we receive in it. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Listen, from feelings and lives where we have felt abandoned or damned because of our sin to being given an inheritance, not just any inheritance, an eternal inheritance, because that inheritance is a resurrection we share to heaven. Eternity with the God is just described. That's why it says this inheritance is imperishable. It will not decay. It will not rust or fall apart. It's undefiled, unspoiled, and perfect. There's no earthly corruption or weakness that can touch what God gives in the new heavens and new earths. Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven says that nothing impure will enter the new Jerusalem, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. It will never, ever fade. It will endure and last forever. This is not just a temporary home that would be taken away later or foreclosed. It can't be passed down, but then just get run down over time. This is eternal, unspoiling, undefiled, unfading. And it's reserved specifically for you. You cannot lose eternity once truly gaining it in Christ alone. And verse 5 right here is proof of this. Look what it says. By God's power, you are being guarded through faith for salvation. God doesn't play gotcha with salvation. His power proven in the resurrection is strong enough to keep you, to never let you go, to know that sin will not and cannot have the final word in your life for salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins and new life out of physical and spiritual death. Oh, talk about a living hope, one that you cannot find in this earth here. And it's of course that hope is going to live. It's eternal and how it is described. Oh, what divine truths and sacred beauty we have because of the resurrection. And how that should give us a living hope. How that gives the church to Christianity as a whole. A church that pursues truth, goodness, and beauty in all areas of life and culture. Having the ability to show the world that God is both reasonable and true to the mind, but also beneficial and beautiful for society. Because we have a picture of it in our hearts and our minds, because we see how it has given us beautiful, living hope out of the ugly despair of sin. That has the power to unfreeze us from fear, like the first women who witnessed the resurrection. It has the ability to give us faith and hope from the doubts and disbelief that even the Apostle Paul experienced before writing this letter as he described that living hope that he now has. Because remember, if some of you think you have doubts and disbelief right now, can you imagine Peter for a moment who again was up and down when following Christ? at one point denying him three times as Jesus was being falsely accused and condemned before they killed him. Everything that he believed, everything up to that point, he gave his life for and followed. I mean, he was willing to cut off Roman guards' ears for this guy. And part of that was because he did think and believe Jesus was the Savior, Messiah, King. But he believed that he was going to bring a physical kingdom to reign on earth right now. Oh, There's not much of a physical kingdom when your king is dead, right? But later, Peter's given hope, a true living hope, because he didn't stay dead. He gave hope to Peter for giving, teaching, restoring him after all those ups and downs, those doubts and disbelief, using him for the true spiritual kingdom. As he preached the first gospel sermon, with 3,000 people being saved. He gave hope when coming back to life, which again, to defeat death like that, knowing it's the Holy Spirit that raised him from the dead, and that's what he gives us as well. So he uses in our lives. There's no greater hope than the power of the resurrection. But we don't have that living hope without going back to... Look at verse 3 of 1 Peter 1 to what he says. You must be born again. When he talks about the great mercy that we have from Jesus Christ. And then at the end of verse 3, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But look what it says, sandwiched in there. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I mean, as true and as beautiful as the resurrection is, and the living hope that we have from it, it says, but we must be born again to receive it. And I know that seems like an old traditional Christianese term. I know the church at different times have gone away from saying it and and sharing the gospel or, or to evangelize at times. It's what Bob Dylan would use in his profession of faith. It was very trendy during the Jesus movement even. We don't say it as much now today. I know there's a lot of unpacking with it, but the Bible uses it here and for good reason. And so I want to share as we conclude why we must become born again to receive the living hope and the power of the resurrection. When Peter wrote this, he surely had in mind what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3 about this. You see, The leader of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, came to Jesus in the middle of the night asking him how he was doing all of these miracles, how he was teaching as it seemed like one from God himself. And Jesus answered back saying, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And when Jesus said that, Nicodemus answers back, how can a man be born when he is old can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, just for a quick moment, can you imagine asking that to Jesus? Jesus, how do we get back into our mom's womb? Okay, it's like, how do we become born again? Well, how, how does that work? Like, do we just, is that even possible? I mean, this is like Sunday school Q&A with kids here, because like those times, you have no idea what you're going to get asked, Okay. But this is like the religious leader instead asking this. And Jesus, unlike our amazing kid servant leaders who try their best to keep a poker face with those type of questions, gives great, great grace to Nicodemus by answering him, it's not through physical flesh, but of the spirit. It's of the spirit. And when Nicodemus asks one final time, how can these things be? Jesus's final answer was, listen to what he says, the Son." Of man, that's him, will be lifted up or glorified in what he does in the gospel. Part of that is his resurrection. And when he does, listen to what he says in John 3. Whoever believes in him, the one who is lifted up, the son of man, Jesus, may have eternal life. And do you know what the very next verse is after the somewhat awkward yet life-changing important exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus on how to be born again? It's the most famous verse of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but instead have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. How do we, how do you receive the living hope we need in the resurrection? As an answer to the sins that we suffer great consequence of, from sins of death and despair to separation from God and hell. We must be born again in spirit to God. How are we born again? We turn or repent of our sin and we believe in Jesus as Savior. What we come to celebrate this morning, the living hope in the resurrection of Jesus It all is not only received so beautifully, eternally, but it must be received by you believing that Jesus Christ will give it to you. That he accomplished it by dying on the cross for you and your sins, rising from the dead, and out of great, great grace, you saying in your heart of hearts, I know I'm that sinner, but Jesus Christ is that Savior, and I believe in Him. I give you my life. Everybody, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. In a moment here, we're going to sing about that living hope. We're going to be singing some words. Like hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. Beautiful Savior, I am yours forever. Jesus Christ, you are my living hope. But before we sing, with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed down, I want you to take a few moments to talk to the Lord with whatever he is speaking, revealing to you today. For some of you as professing believers... As what you know to be born again Christians receiving that new life for you, you may want to spend some time with them thanking him for having that living hope. Maybe it was this morning a great reminder that similar to the women at the grave who was frozen in fear, who was scared, but who eventually was reaffirmed and had that confidence and faith, you are true You are good. You are alive. And I will live for you and I will share you with others. And maybe for you as believers, as Christians, that is what this morning is about. A reminder. I don't have to be frozen in fear. A reminder. He is alive. And I need to go and tell. But for some of you, you may be in here, whether it's for the very first time, or maybe you've grown up hearing this, and the Spirit is drawing you to say, I need that for my life for the very first time. Maybe you did grow up in church and you've repeated some words in prayer, but you had no idea what you were doing. Maybe you've been antagonistic toward this, but right now the spirit is drawing and revealing and you would say in your heart of hearts right now, I am stuck in my sin that separates me from the God that created me. And I need Jesus as my Savior. And if he is drawing you to himself, in your heart of hearts, everybody's eyes closed, heads bowed down. If he is drawing you, all you need to do in your hearts, not just repeating this because no words are going to save you, it is in your heart of hearts having faith in this. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, whoever believes in the one that is lifted up will have eternal life. If you would say as a cry from your heart, a prayer to him, something similar to I'm a sinner. Nothing I can do on my own will take that away. But God, out of your great love for me, that love that to the point you gave your son to die on the cross for my sin, to forgive me of it, to free me from it, to give me a new life out of it, proved it by rising from the dead And I believe in that. I ask you and receive you to come into my heart and life as Lord and Savior. And I repent and turn of my sin and I give you my life. I believe you as my Savior. And I would ask for you in this time to cry out in your heart. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Receive that living hope, the assurance of our faith. So, in this moment, this time, whatever God's leading you to do, will you spend some time with them, pray to Him? Now, close in prayer, and we'll sing as one of that living hope today on Easter Sunday. Good, spend some time with them right now. If you'd confess and you'd share that you did just ask Jesus into your heart and life as your Lord and Savior, that He was drawing you to Him, and that you, as Jesus described, believed in Him to be spiritually born again, to receive that living hope, If that's you with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed down, will you just look up real quick? Just look up make eye contact with me real quick, okay? Anybody else? Okay. Anybody else? Everybody else, eyes closed, heads bow down. I want to share with anyone who had done that. It says angels are rejoicing in heaven. Because what you experience is from death to now life that is represented on what today is Easter Resurrection Sunday. And you have new life in Christ where the Holy Spirit has entered in you to walk with you every step of the way and to have that inheritance is described. And you will make mistakes, but God will walk with you. And if you get the chance, come see me or any one of our leaders or somebody that you trust, maybe somebody that invited you, and share with them that you received Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we or they would love to tell you about next steps and how to be able to live that out and the great living hope that you have right now. You can also, on the welcome card in front of you, just put the check mark of Receive Jesus, Lord and Savior, in your number. And again, we'd love to contact you and share more about the new life and hope you have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, the ability to join together as a body every Sunday morning to study it, to discuss and apply it in community group, and for this special Sunday where churches all across the world is meeting to celebrate and worship you as the risen Savior, not in the tomb, but giving us that living hope. Oh, God, how it changes everything. Thank you. From the lives that went from death to life here this morning to those who received it when they were younger and needing those reminders, but that you are always present and giving to them. We thank you, Lord, as we stand and sing and pray in our words that we are singing, you are that living hope in a hopeless world. Thank you. We pray this in your name, Jesus.